Welcome into the 11 Dubcast. It is an off-season Dubcast, and I say that because I don't want to give <laughs> the men's basketball team too much credit right now. I'm a little, little pissed, so I'm Johnny. He's Andy. We're going to discuss them here, uh, and we'll get into some happier things as well. We'll talk about the uh, the men's wrestling team, which is doing a really good job. We'll talk a little bit about world records being set and qualas being saved and potentially, potentially, and I have to use that caveat because I can't, you know, I, I can't confirm anything on the subcast, but potentially a new uh, old uh, coach coming back to Ohio State. So we'll talk about that as well. Let's start with the basketball team. I knew that this was going to be difficult because I knew that Penn State would be pretty furious about uh, how Ohio State skunked them earlier in the season they wanted revenge and they got their revenge <laughs> and and they made ohio state look pretty freaking horrible in the process so look i mean what we got we, we right now we've got a situation where ohio state basketball has won once since the new year basically um they're not looking good in the big 10 uh, things are just not going well what is the andy what do you right now what do you see as the team's biggest problem biggest issue I'm not sure where to start. Like it's, it just <laughs> yeah, feels it's hard like to narrow down. Yeah, I apologize well, for that intro. No, it because I'm I'm honestly baffled that in the span of about a month, this team went from being essentially a number two, see a number two team and 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 a one seed, to now being a bubble team, and we're kind of chuckling like, oh, guess they're going to see UNC again in the NIT. LOL. Right. Like this has been the most precipitous drop off. We we talk. How many times did we talk during the first you know six weeks of the season about how great this team was? And Chris Holtman is more meticulous than a forensics uh, officer, That's and he's right. you know it, I'm just I mean I am blown away by what's happened. It's you know so specific to Penn State. I always say you know, one of my favorite sports cliches, right? It's hard to beat a team twice in a season. So you knew and you you set it up well. You, you take a team uh, and beat them 106, 106. Let me, let me just pause for a minute. <laughs> I, like, has Ohio State scored 106 points in uh, two games running in I that don't stretch? Know. Like, that's, that's a fair question to ask. Shooting's been a challenge, and they run up 106. So 106 to 74 back in December 7th. Mm-hmm. So you knew that wasn't going to happen again. Like a team, you know, Penn State isn't terrible. They're not going to just roll over and play dead. And so sure enough, they come back and, this 90 to 76 whooping uh i'm i'm just blown away so shooting's a big part of it like that's you know that's uh that's a thing they've got to get back on the right side of and and maybe not so much just their percentages but shot selection so from behind the arc they're not they're not horrible but points in the paint like where where has that gone why why aren't we seeing stronger play around the rim the number of missed dunks and layups in that penn state game was yeah <laughs> like i needed bleach for my eyes to watch You're having like literally dozens of missed two-point plays I, in the paint like the mind boggles right um, yeah so hey uh this is one of those times where you say to a guy like chris holman all right this is where you you make your chicken to to quote beast mode uh and figure out how to take these guys and get them back to the cohesive kind of play that um, they were just reeling off like it was easy peasy in the first six weeks of the season. I I don't know. It's crazy to me. So I kind of asked you, I mean, it is kind of a trap question to ask, what is the biggest problem with Ohio State men's basketball right now? Because it seems like it shifts every game. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it against Penn State, right? They were 
pretty good from three, honestly. I think they were shooting at like a 45 percent. Yeah, so that's not horrible. Yeah, that had been something that was a huge issue in some of their other games where they just could not knock down a three to save their lives. They were shooting fairly well, but their defense was atrocious. They just they could not stop Penn State. Penn State was shooting over 50% from the field. They were able to do pretty much whatever they wanted. Uh, it's it just feels like every other game, just some new fresh hell emerges, and just it, it's something they got ten with. And I I think this is something um, that is reflective of having a young team. And I asked, you know, I asked Colin about this a little bit uh, when we had our you know little eleven Warriors party um, last night, and I was like, you know, what do you think Holtman's doing here? Like, is this a situation where he's kind of like maybe lost the locker room? Or are they just not? And he was like, I don't think that's it. I don't think they know what's it. I, I think it's just a multitude of issues that just seem to pop up and he's right. It it doesn't seem to be any one thing. I mean, you look at these statistics, you look at the box scores, you watch the games, you don't know what Ohio state team you're going to get on any given night. And it's weird. It's really weird. And as you said, I mean, this is, (laughs) you go from looking at this team as a potential final four contender to in a month, just falling apart. And yeah, you've had some injuries, but I just, you know, part of it, I think is just a team was really, really hot particularly just shooting wise at the beginning of the season. And that covered up a lot of um, foundational problems that they have. So when they were super hot shooting, didn't matter that they weren't doing certain things on defense. It didn't really matter that they weren't doing, you know, the things that they needed to like distribute the ball, like around. Although, I mean, again, people were doing really well at like scoring and, and distributing in that fashion, but maybe not just in, in difficult situations. But anyway, the point that I'm saying is, is that I think that they got really hot at the beginning of the season. Holtman knew that wasn't going to last, and he, I think he tried to intimate he, that to the media. Did. His credit, he did. Yeah. <laughs> he tried to and, get a slower and when, <laughs> and when the shooting kind of fell apart, I think the team kind of fell apart a little bit. So we're going to we're gonna see what happens in the next few games. Right now, they've lost five out of their last six. So I don't <laughs> – this the ship is not – this isn't about riding the ship. This is about, like – evacuating the ship on lifeboats and trying to find a new ship that's actually going to float because right now the ship is sunk like you got to figure something else out you know so, you you're, you hit the nail on the head too and that the, the target appears to be moving we were talking about turnovers you know in in the games prior to this one that just too many turnovers too many turnovers um just some you know bad ball handling and, and at times or you know like uh, don't don't make that pass there a couple times but in this game, you know, turnovers weren't necessarily the problem that was pretty yeah. evenly matched with Penn State and turnovers. And, and what I find funny looking at the box scores, um, you know, basically the same number of shots. Uh, each each team took 54 um, shots at the goal and, and uh, Penn State had one fewer three-point attempt. But yeah, Penn State shot almost 54% to Ohio State's 42.6. But the big difference, so going back to that, the inside play, I think, really was the difference maker in this one because yeah. you looked at that uh, missed what it was. It was ten of twenty-two on layups. Ten of twenty-two on layups, and here's the <laughs> here's the thing that just jumped off the page to me: zero offensive rebounds. Not right. one, not two, not three. Zero. Z e r o offensive rebounds. Like that's that's problematic, guys. Um, Thirty-four points off the bench. So okay, but you had. You had Luther, Muhammad, um, and uh, Washington both coming off their one-game suspension. So you do have you know, some discipline issues. And, I, and credit to Holtman for saying, hey, guys, if you're not going to do what we want you to do, you're going to ride the pine. Um, I, I don't have any problem with that. That's something I think, you know, particularly with a young team, 
you you got to do that. You got to do that. Yeah. But uh, not enough blocks and and no offensive rebounds. They've got to get tougher. They got to get stronger. Play in the paint and, and make your bloody layups, guys. The thing is, though, I mean, there it's one thing to get minutes from dudes who just aren't contributing in terms of scoring, right? Like that's, I mean, you'll see that, but if you're going to do that, if you're not going to be able to score or make a contribution that way, you've got to start playing better defense. I mean, a guy's like guy like Kyle Young. And again, coming back from appendicitis, that sucks. It's really hard to do 14 minutes where he did nothing. Like just essentially did absolutely nothing on the time that he was on the court. DJ mm-hmm. Carton, you know, had a, a better game maybe because he wasn't suspended or anything, but that's, that's fine. Uh, but 26 yeah. minutes of just like, you know, nine points i mean cj walker two points he's out there for over 20 minutes it's just one of those things where you look at this and you're like this is not you're not getting quality minutes from guys that were giving you um that were giving you a lot i mean just aaron's had some excellent games at the beginning of the season and is now almost a complete non-factor um so i don't you know again schematically in terms of how they want to figure things out whatever they want to play how they're trying to distribute the ball. I don't have the answer in terms of that. And I don't know that Chris Holtman necessarily does. One thing Colin did tell me um, was that, you know, Holtman really probably feels a little bit more comfortable coaching older guys and coaching a team that isn't really, really youthful. And that makes sense because you know exactly what you're going to get. And Holtman right now, I don't think, I think he's in the same spot that a lot of Ohio State fans are where he doesn't know where he's going to get on a given night. Mm -hmm. And that I, that's gotta be frustrating. You can see that in his demeanor and how he's uh, you know, kind of performative on the sidelines he's clearly frustrated by how this team's playing not just because they're losing but because they they just aren't doing what they need to do on a consistent basis yeah and i think he's a guy that you know take the l right he's not he's not the kind of guy's like just going to be um you know mad because of the loss it's it's the way you lose that matters like you can walk out of a loss with your head high and say hey you know what the other team was better tonight we couldn't hit the ocean whatever it is but if you're you're not putting forth the kind of effort if you're not playing defense obviously huge hugely important defense is what has kept the team in games um when they weren't able to hit the ocean i thought uh i I thought our young friend david had a nice piece at 11 warriors about a week ago talking about the holes in this roster and if and if um, you missed it i encourage you to go back and read it um because the roster construction he talks about you know it's a big part of the reason you've got a few young guys you look at uh, dj carton kind of hitting the freshman wall as he as he put it i think was pretty good um and then with washington as kind of the team's best three-point shooter on the bench because of his not playing defense uh with the effort that holtman expects like those are those are real issues um and and then when you see some of these guys in the middle like muhammad or cj walker that haven't been putting up buckets you know that puts a lot more pressure on say caleb wesson andre wesson stepped up in a couple of those games which has been nice to see uh but i said it a couple weeks ago if you're counting on andre wesson to be your leading scorer like hey something's gone horribly awry here so you know you you've got to see some of these guys step up here we haven't seen it yet you know they hit that they hit the the win in nebraska but i'm i'm looking and saying there's precious few wins in the weeks ahead here for this team if they keep playing like they did against Penn State or you know better better in terms of the turnovers that had been kind of the big issue in the four game skid prior to Nebraska um so better on the turnovers but you know got to continue to improve shot selection and um you know play better at the rim finish some of these shots well as i said i mean 
one of the things that you look at is just the unpredictability. And, and unfortunately, as you mentioned, is the fact that the schedule is not getting any easier. Oh, man, I mean, it's not, tough. This isn't a situation where it's like, okay, well, this really sucked, but this is the hard part of the schedule, so we can kind of coast for the next three weeks, get some good quality wins, build that resume. That's not going to happen. You, kinda, nope. you don't have that luxury. So whatever they're going to fix, if they're going to fix it, they've got to basically do it while you know they're driving the car while the car's on fire. you got to be able to find a place to fix this thing because they got out. You have no other options at this point. Um, yeah, so particularly when you get to February, because Minnesota, you know, I would I would say Minnesota is a winnable game because um, you get that at home. So so there's an sure. opportunity there, um, and then after that, you're at Northwestern again. I think those are those are two winnable games. But you come back and you're you're hosting Indiana and you're on the road at Michigan to open up, you know, that first week of February. Uh, you know, that's a tough couple <laughs> games there. You know, you're going to Wisconsin again tough game there so i mean i think that first that first week of february it's kind of make or break time for this season because after that you know then you really gets ugly with with, with purdue and and maryland um you know and and particularly then late of course you finish uh michigan illinois michigan state once you hit that that uh, one week of march so i mean that last three game stretch michigan state in there at the very end like just you know just really just punch right in the nards at the end of the season. And, and in right. East Lansing, no less. Right. So that should, you know, depending on, as you said, depending on the next few weeks go, that could be really just a, a really nice gut punch to end the season. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so that's the men's basketball team. I don't think either of us are super excited about all that. Um, but there is something that we should be excited about. And I'm going to, I want to transition to this. This is your forte. And I think it's also, if you are sitting here in Columbus, Ohio, and you're sad about Ohio state sports, you're like, you know, they lose the Fiesta bowl. Men's basketball looks like trash. There is still hope for you. There is still something that you can pin, you know, your hopes on and enjoy and get through this, this winter of our discontent. And that is wrestling. And I, we just skunked the hell out of Illinois. Right. How did it go, dude? You just wrote about it. How awesome was that that victory? Yeah, it was a fantastic weekend of Big Ten wrestling action. So Ohio State's wrestling team ranked number four in the country uh, by the National Wrestling Coaches Association in their coaches poll. And, uh, and and I should say, you know, for folks who don't follow wrestling super closely, we have a couple different sets of rankings that that matter. So most of the season, you'll see us at 11 Warriors refer to the, the coaches poll. And the coaches poll is based on performance at dual meets. In other words, when Ohio State hosts Illinois, as it did Sunday, um, and it's our 10 guys versus their 10 guys, 10 different weight classes, and, and you know, the which team wins the meet. It's more analogous to, you know, the football or basketball game. But the way we decide conference and, and NCAA titles in wrestling is through tournament play. So when we get to the month of March, you'll have the Big Ten and the NCAA wrestling tournaments. So you'll see some rankings out there based on what different analysts or websites think um, will happen in the postseason tournament. So at this stage, we're focused on the dual meets. That's what we had Friday night. The Buckeyes traveled to Madison, where they wrestled against a very good Wisconsin team. And going into that meet, I honestly thought it could be a 50-50 type of deal where Ohio State wins five matches, Wisconsin wins five matches, and then we're either uh, bonus points or criteria going to determine the win. It didn't go down that way at all. Ohio State rolled pretty hard 
um, in the building in Madison and actually picked up six out of the 10 matches and did um, did so decisively because they ended up with two major decisions and two tech falls out of six wins. And so when I talk about bonus points, what that means is um, you have a basic decision, meaning that a wrestler wins a match by seven or fewer points. You have a major decision where it's between eight and uh, but fewer than 15 point margin of victory. A technical fall is a victory by more than 15 points. Or then, of course, you have the good old fashioned pin where you put the guy on his back and the match is over, right? The pin is the ideal. Um, and then, you know, you kind of back down from there, tech fall, major decision, decision. And each one of those margins of victory carries with it more and more team points for the overall um, dual meet. So, right. you know, guys like Luke Pletcher and Sammy Sasso winning major decisions get more points for their team than did, say, Caleb Romero or Elijah Cleary just winning by by basic good old-fashioned decision. But huge meet um, for at Wisconsin. A couple of, couple of big matches out of that one on Friday night. Luke Pletcher, who's number one in the country at 141 pounds, beat the number four guy in the country. So Pletcher has now beat five of the current top 10 men in his class. So I, I would say he is the clear and undisputed number one at 141 pounds. He had um, another big win for Sammy Sasso, who's number six at 149 pounds. He beats the number 13 guy in the country. Um, and and a couple that were super exciting over, even though they were not ranked opponents, Colin Moore, who is number one in the country at 197 pounds, picked up his 100th career victory Friday at Madison. Um, and Rocky Jordan, who's the youngest of the three Jordan brothers from St. Paris, Ohio, uh, got, got a big tech fall, his first meet on the road since moving up to 184 pounds and just looked absolutely fantastic. Elijah Cleary, who's a guy who at 157 pounds has been a little embattled early in the season. He's, um, you know, fastly approaching, you know, losing double digit um, number of matches over the season, got back in the win column. He snapped a five dual meet losing streak to, to pick up a nice win and then came back home Sunday versus Illinois. He wins his second match of the weekend, which was great. And not only did he win it, but he won it over uh, a ranked opponent. So, you know, the confidence from winning a match on the road at Wisconsin carried over, beats the number 22 guy Sunday, and Ohio State rolled against Illinois. It was a thing of beauty. One and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm letting all of that just wash over me like a cleansing yeah. rain. You know what I mean? Because it's you, beautiful. We, we wallow in the muck talking about Ohio State men's basketball. And now you get to – so Luke played – I actually want to talk about Luke a little bit because – we haven't mentioned him too much in our wrestling jaunts, but he's he's doing pretty like he's doing some pretty dominant stuff on the mat right now. Um, what what two people who not do not know too much about Luke Pletcher? What should they know about this guy? So Luke Pletcher is a guy who you know comes to Ohio State from Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and his freshman year is wrestling 141 pounds um, and did and did really well. Pletcher's he's a really just been a sound wrestler his entire career. So his sophomore and junior year, he dropped down to wrestle at 133 pounds. Ohio State's had some really fantastic 141 pound wrestlers and they had a hole in the lineup at one, 133 because Nathan Tomasello was going to wrestle 125 a couple of those years. So Luke bumps down to 33 to kind of fill, fill a need. And, and he's really good. You know, he's a top five guy at the NCAA tournament, both those years. So now he's a two-time all American and this year, for his senior year, he's a senior captain. He said, you know what, guys, I want to go back up to 41. Bumps up to 141. Now, 
you know, that doesn't sound like a huge, uh, you know, amount of difference in weight for a guy like me that makes literally like three of Luke Pletcher, but <laughs> it, it's a big deal for wrestlers. If the cut's too deep, you know, if you're trying to cut too much weight, particularly a water cut on match day, and you go into a one hour weigh in for a dual meet and you're feeling, you know, dehydrated and you're feeling low energy because you haven't been able to eat any, you know, any, any carbohydrates uh, the last couple of days because you're trying to cut and all these sorts of things. Being able to wrestle at, at, at your natural weight, so to speak, and not have to cut too much really makes a difference. So you've seen Luke go back up to 141 and, and all he's done is win. He's undefeated on the yeah. season. He's now got 17, maybe 18 wins to his credit. He's beaten five of the top 10 guys in the class. And, and moreover, this is what's really amazing to me. He has found a higher gear offensively. He's now something like 65% of his matches are in bonus territory. That's double his career average because typically what we would, what we would have said about Luke over the last two years, Luke won most of his matches, you know, like high 90% of his matches, Yeah, yeah. but they were these like five to three decisions where you knew he was going to win the match, but he was going to make you sweat. That it was going to come down to the, you know, like so he wasn't putting guys away is what you're no, saying. No, no. He would let them hang around. Yeah. It's like guys couldn't score on him, but he wasn't exactly like, you know, a Kyle Snyder or Colin Moore where he was going to get a hundred takedowns in a match. Right. You know, he was, he would get, get a takedown, maybe two and, and then just, you know, kind of hold off the offense. Well, since moving back up to 41, it's like watching a whole, a whole new guy. I kind of, kind of joked with, uh, with Colin Moore after I think it was the Rutgers duel he was singing Luke's praises, you know, cause they've been classmates, um, you know, came in at the same time and, and have been on the roster together since their freshman year. And, and, uh, I said, you guys are like, you're in a contest to see who can get more takedowns in a match. Cause you've got Luke, you know, racking up these major decisions and, um, you know, going more takedown to takedown, which has not been his style. And he has just really turned it on. And it, and it's been a delight to watch. There are a few guys this season, who, who have kind of made that, that step. Now he was not one that needed to take a step per se. He just needed to open his, up his offense and he's done that. And then you compile that with guys like Ethan Smith and Caleb Romero, who have taken a step from being kind of embattled starters last year to finding really a nice rhythm and a nice groove. Uh, and there's the middle of this lineup's pretty stout right now. Um, you know, Cleary has been kind of a hole at 57, although here, like I say, he's on a two-match win streak now. But 41, 49, 65, and 74 have just been really great. And I think it starts with Luke opening up that offense, and then those guys that come after him, you know, the momentum carries. And and they, they can feed off the crowd, and they can, you know, come to the ring feeling like, hey, I man, Luke just beat the thunder out of that guy. Now, now it's my turn. Right. And you know what? They, hopefully they're able to continue that and maybe surprise some people as the season goes on. And again, you know, this is still what I think they're ranked fourth in the country right now, right? Fourth in the country. That's right. They're so fourth me, in the country. Up on dudes, but, and, you know. and so, well, and the, you know, they were ranked up in, in the top three um, prior to the loss at Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech came to Cavelli Center, you know, early in the season and and kind of snuck away with one. It was it was a good win for them and kind of showcased some of the challenges that that Ohio State had in its its roster construction. And so you've had some guys move around. You had Rocky Jordan move up from 74 to 84, and now he seems to be clicking. Um, you know, there was the decision for Jordan Decatur to come out of red shirt. That hasn't necessarily panned out the way 
that fans might have hoped yet, but I think there's still hope for that young man to to kind of turn it on late. You know, we've built the legend of gas tank Gary Traub here in in the interceding um, months since that that loss at Virginia Tech, and so now they've snuck back up into the top four in these dual meet rankings. What what really it will come down to? So I think at this point, Iowa is the prohibitive favorite to win the NCAA wrestling championship, and and Ohio State will go to Iowa City Friday night to wrestle at Carver Hawkeye Arena, which is, you know, easily, you know, if not the most intimidating place in all of college wrestling to wrestle, it's, you know, top two with Rec Hall at Penn State. Um, right. But but Carver Hawkeye, there'll be twelve or 13,000 people in the stands to watch this meet. It, it, it'll be really tough for Ohio State to, to think about the upset, but if they can, you know, some of these guys can pick up good wins or get some good learning experience. But so then you get behind Iowa and you say, okay, there's a few teams in there that are going to be scrapping for second or third. Um, you know, certainly Penn State's still in the mix, although they're they're not the Penn State team of the last you know two or three years. Uh, um, but you've got you've got a few other teams in there that have you know have the chance, I think, to to challenge for second or third place. Ohio State's for sure right in that mix. I mean, I think they should be shooting for runner up again. Um, you know, if if not. Um, you know, it's the, the, this, the table is, is open, I guess. Once you get past Iowa, I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of teams that could get up into that second or third place at the, both of the big 10 and the NCAA tournament. Well, I think that would be a hell of a finish for the Buckeyes. And, you know, again, you would love to see kind of a, a huge upset maybe on Friday. We'll see if that happens. I, I mean, I think as you've been describing them, I was pretty, pretty tough to beat. They're really good. Uh, They're I mean, they, Iowa. Particularly yeah, they, Iowa, they've been, I mean, they've be, been wrecking some of these the other teams, you know, yeah, they're in, yeah. and, and Iowa, you know, Iowa's was the team that prior to Kale Sanderson's arrival, uh, in happy Valley, I mean, you know, Iowa is the wrestling program, right? So it was Oklahoma right. state until Dan Gable arrived in Iowa. And then it's, you know, Iowa winning and, and having these dynasties under Gable, um, you know, the brands brothers have, have had, uh, you know, a few national championships, but it was kind of like when Kale arrived at Penn state, Iowa kind of took a step back and it's been Penn state, Ohio state, Penn state, Ohio state, um, these, these past several years with Penn state, of course, coming out on top of the NCAA tournament all those years, but one, um, but Iowa had kind of been almost, I don't want to say the forgotten child, but they were, you know, they were, they were a few steps behind the pack. If I look at flow wrestling's tournament team rankings, um, as of this week. So before this week's duels, this would have been like Monday's rankings, Ohio State's in third behind Penn State. Um, and I think that gap is closing between Penn State and Ohio State just for this season, um, shooting for second. And then after that, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota are the other teams that kind of round out the top five and, and that's flows tournament rankings. Um, but we'll see, you know, the tournament still, we're 60 days away, as Tom Ryan said, after the meet on Sunday. So it's right. it's coming fast, but there's a lot of wrestling to happen between now and then. If they could, if they could top Penn State, in the NCAAs, I think that would be really sick. I would I'd be, be happy. Yeah, that would be pretty freaking amazing. Um, so that'll be fun. I, we're obviously going to keep an eye on that and looking forward to it. Another nice piece of information that might be coming is, is the return of Kerry Combs. You know, look, I we cannot break any news on the Dubcast. I can't tell you that he's absolutely coming back because I don't know for certain. I feel like pretty much everyone else listening to this, that that is probably going to happen. Um, but, you know... It, the Titans just lost. I just watched it on television. They, uh, they, you know, got beaten by the Kansas State Chiefs. And 
you know, we were talking a little bit about this on Slack. I, you know, I think maybe people are really, really, really excited about the possibility of Kerry Combs coming back, which they should be. I think he was a really good DBs coach, uh, obviously high energy, um, a good recruiter. Those are all really big positives that you want. Do you think, Andy, as maybe some on the site do, that he isn't quite the replacement for Jeff Halfley that people might hope he is? Yeah, what I think is interesting is is to see how he meshes with the rest of the staff that's staying. So right. it feels like with Halfley losing, with Halfley leaving, I mean, it feels like people have just totally forgotten that Coach Madison is a person who exists on the staff. <laughs> that's right. Um, pretty good, pretty good defensive coach, right? So, yeah, uh, Al, Al Washington, you know, is part of the staff. Like, you know, you know, th- these are guys that were a really important part of this defensive brain trust. So, you know, it's not like we're scrapping this thing and starting over from scratch. So, what what questions remain for me is Kerry Combs was known for one being one hell of a recruiter, right? Like yep. the guys planting flags all over the known universe. And so he's been out of that now for, for a couple seasons. So is he able to just pick up where he left off? I, I tend to think that's probably the case. I don't think suddenly, you know, he stopped injecting Red Bull directly into his veins on a regular basis. <laughs> well, you, um, work for, you work for Vrabel. I feel like that's probably a requirement yeah, of the job. Right, I think that's right. kind of something that's contractually put in there that he has to do. And so then, you know, the, the second part of that, of course, was was the position coaching. And, you know, you look at it and say the, the defensive backfield became BIA best in America on his watch. Right. Yeah. So with with that in mind, if you assume that he still knows how to coach defensive backs, then those are really two pretty important pieces of the puzzle. Um, I, you know, is there going to be a drop off, quote unquote? I don't know if it's going to be a drop off. Will it be a change? Do I expect to see, you know, some differences between the Halfley Madison experience and the Coombs Madison experience. Yeah, probably. Right. That seems logical um, that there would be some changes or differences. Uh, I, I don't know whether I think they're going to be wholesale changes though. That's like, I think people either think one of two things, either there's going to be no change. It's just going to be amazing and all good because we love Kerry Coombs <laughs> and his irrepressible hashtag. That way, no matter what, I think yeah, that's yeah, one of those yeah. things oh, sure. where people are like, you know what? It doesn't matter who Ohio State has on the team. It doesn't matter who's coaching. They will just be great, and that's that's just how it is. There there are no changes yeah. that Ohio State cannot no. weather. It's going to be great. No 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 problems. Right. No problems. Or then you know you're on the other. You're the only other end of that spectrum that I just oh poor pitiful me. Everything will be bad all the time, and so yeah. oh god, Jeff Halfley left. We're all doomed, guys. Here's the deal. 18 months ago, you'd never heard of Jeff Halfley, right? Like, that's, <laughs> exactly. That's the deal. And I'm one of these that's like, if he'd stayed for, you know, another 10 years, hey, that I could die happy kind of thing. It would have been great. But, you know, th- that's what I kind of marvel. So many of these coaches that Ohio State has lost to, to head coaching opportunities over the, you know, past eight years, you hadn't heard of them before they got to Columbus. You know, they were out there toiling away as an assistant somewhere and they made their bones on the biggest stage and then they went on other opportunities and the sun came up tomorrow. Yeah. And I look, here's my biggest hope for Kerry Combs, assumes, you know, assuming he comes back, I want him to continue the philosophy that uh, Ryan Day has for his offense, which is let's make the scheme fit the personnel. And I look, I have I have been waiting so long for an Ohio State coach to make that their mantra, their mantra, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. Urban Meyer had a system, he's going to do what he's going to do. 
but he looked for players that could fit his system. You know what I mean? Like he would get really uncomfortable if mm-hmm. he couldn't do very specific things with the players that he had. And he would often try to force those players into that role, even if they wouldn't necessarily fit that role. And I think Ryan Day's biggest strength as a head coach is that he will look at whoever he has offensively and say, I will scrap this entire plan in favor of a new one that maximizes the production that these players can give me. And I want to see that on defense as well. So to me, that's what I saw. I think they were very, very smart scheme-wise about playing to the strengths of who they had. They don't have a guy like Kuda back there, so that's going to hurt. Um, I know you keep Wade, but that's it's not the same thing. They might move him to corner or whatever, but he's not going to be Jeff Okuda. And that's going to require, it's going to necessitate them playing a different style of defense. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You just got to make sure that's effective for the players that they have. So, look, I think given the adjustments and the lessons that they learned in 2019 where the defense improved you know immeasurably i don't think they're gonna re like regress and go back to okay we have to play man every single down we're gonna do you know we're gonna go back to shiana's defense because that's what was you know around when combs was here we're not gonna do that and I, i think ohio state is now smart enough to say you know we're going to stick to your strengths. And that means both the strengths of the players and of the coaches and Madison's still there. As you said, Al Washington's still there. This is a good group of guys who know what they're doing. And, you know, I don't expect, you know, Combs coming and be like, okay, here's what I learned in the NFL. Let's become an elite defense forever anymore. They, they may take a step back, but I, I, I think they'll play to the strengths of the players that they have. And that's most important. So I'm excited about it. it. He's obviously a really cool high energy guy. I love, you know, Always good for a quote. Always good for you know a sideline picture stuff like that. Um, I, that to me is is one of the more exciting parts about it. So yeah, it, it, I think you hit it on the head because it was so it was so refreshing. I guess you'd say with the you know the 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 Ryan Day kind of fingerprints on the offense to see the transition uh, offensively from you know personnel types of personnel and, and you'd look and say a quarterback is the perfect microcosm. Could you have had more different quarterbacks in the years that he's been calling the offense, you know, from one year to the next, literally, uh, and, and the system adapted and it was, and it was a thing of beauty to see how he used the different talents of those guys, um, adapting to different running back styles, even, you know, and bringing those guys along. So, I, I mean, I think, I think what you said there about adapting, the scheme and and so on to the personnel that's that's one of his great strengths and so you know seeing if that works on the other side of the ball that's going to be kind of fun um and you know i still say as long as larry johnson is running the big dogs up front defense is going to be you know it's going to be capable um no matter what because you're going to have you're going to continue to have (laughs) the the best in the business up at the front and and putting wreaking havoc and putting pressure on opposing offenses right well and, and like I said, you know, that's that's really what you want. That's what you want to see out of a high state team. You want to see them just play at their best. And I think that's that's exciting. Uh, another thing here that we've got going on, which I think is really important and unfortunately will be completed by the time the Dovecast publishes. But, you know, we are in the midst of a world record attempt by an Ohio State player. Uh, bottle flipper extraordinaire and occasional punter Drew Chrisman is out there on YouTube right now. As I speak, I have it in front of me. It's in my hand on my phone. Uh, it is now 8.17 on Sunday evening, and he is flipping the hell out of a bottle uh, trying to raise money um, for charity, specifically uh, to help out the wildfires in Australia. 
Um, it's on his uh, Twitter account, actually. If you well, <laughs> if you want to check out, I'm sure there will be the recap on YouTube. So it's it's the Chrisman crew. If you want to check that out, uh, his Twitter handle is dchrisman91, and you can see all that information on there as well. And if you haven't seen his bottle flip videos, which are just completely insane, definitely look at his uh, his Twitter account because there's all kinds of crazy stuff on there. But He's in the midst of just flipping the hell out of a, a bottle of water uh, for as much as he can to try to raise that money, and hopefully you donated. Hopefully you got does, on there and, and saved. Does he have wallets. like a little like a little graphic going going like Can you tell what the tally is while you're so, while you're watching? <laughs> he does, and here's the thing, and I and maybe this is one of those situations where you know if the dubcast were live, we could just get a hold of this guy. <laughs> right. They've got a whiteboard set up. It is yeah. not legible. You cannot read oh, any graph on it. Okay. So it is a bit of a bummer. It's too like the the writing on it is just not clear enough. So I don't know whether that represents like bottle flips or donations or things like that. Um, hopefully, raise a crap ton of money because obviously Australia, you know, has been through a lot of stuff uh, with their wildfires and you know tons of animals dying and all that kind of stuff. So um, he wants you to donate to the WWF, the World Wildlife Fund, which is a great organization and. You know, try to help out that that region of the world. So. Yeah, and and you know the thing I want to say is hats off to him for taking this totally random skill that has become <laughs> relatively amusing to Ohio That's State right. fans and like milking it for all it's worth, but then more importantly, making it something that could potentially do some good. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. the pictures pictures coming out of Australia just totally heartbreaking. I, I'm a I'm an animal agriculture guy, so seeing some of the you know, livestock and wildlife uh, that, that have been, um, you know, caught in those, those fires have just been kind of heartrending. Now on the, on the lighter side of that, I do kind of find it amusing. I was reading, uh, you know, on Drewby's Twitter feed as he's talking about all this and um, l- little things like somebody asked him, so is there a current world record for the most flips in a day? <laughs> and his response is like, no, not, not, not anything I could find. I just found multiple videos that are a couple hours long for the most flips in a row. So right. he's going to try to beat that too. I love that you just take from like how many could you do in an hour to how many can I do in a whole day? So you've now added in the complicated factor of trying to stay awake for 24 hours, right? Flipping bottles. So he's got a, he's got a crew helping him. That's, that's cool. But I got a bone to pick with Drew Chrisman because as, as you and I were researching this segment, mm-hmm. I found, um, found a newswire story from last March. Uh, well, I guess now two Marches ago, March of 2018, that he had flipped the bottle 63 times in a minute, which was allegedly a world record. So he posts that video of him doing this, this allegedly world record breaking attempt for 63 flips in a minute. And, and he tags the Guinness world records people in his Twitter post, you know, to say, Hey, here's my video. And they reply with the guidelines for how you get the record. So they send me a little link. Here's how to apply for a record. You know, almost two years later now, I'm searching to try to find, did he get the record? And no, <laughs> apparently no, because on the Guinness website, some yokel from Tennessee has 39 flips as the official record. Like Drew, you not only broke that record, you blew it out of the water. Yeah. I guess well, cause I pun intended since it's a water bottle. Man. Why, why have we not filed the paperwork to make this thing official? Well, do you think it could be a compliance issue? Because he had to clear this this whole charity thing, this whole YouTube thing. He had to clear with OSU compliance before we could even do that. So could that be seen? Could ah. be seen as profiting off his likeness? You know, you could be right. I I hadn't thought about that because uh, I I interpreted his comment about having to clear with compliance 
meaning because of the fundraising attempt. Right. Uh, so, but you, maybe you're right. Maybe there is some strain. I mean, there have been more draconian NCAA rules than y'all. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't even approach for a Guinness record, right? <laughs> thing people for. Yeah, it wouldn't even come close. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Maybe that's it. And maybe once he once he graduates and he goes off and does whatever he wants to do, he can flip the bottle as many times as he wants and gets bona fide and gets put in the Guinness Book of World Records and appears uh, in elementary school classrooms around the country. So that would be great. I'm there because <laughs> that's the only place I've ever seen a Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, it was a big life. part of my childhood. Yeah, oh, I freaking loved it. I'm not, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Like, who who does not appreciate the pictures of the people with the longest fingernails yes. and like, you know, the twins riding the the motorcycles, like the world's largest twins riding the smallest it's motorcycles incredible. in the world, and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, so anyway, props to him for doing that and for raising money for a great cause. I think that's awesome. Uh, props to you for getting this far in the Dubcast, which, by the way, is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store. Um, at drygoods.11warriors.com, shirts, hats, stickers, and more, drygoods.11warriors.com. Let's transition here to the uh, Ask Us Anything segment, which is always our favorite segment of the entire That's part of the show. That's right. And you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Let's start with our friend uh, James here. Uh, Jimmy uh, James, (laughs) Jimmy James wants to know, and this is actually more for you, Andy. Um, he is a wrestling novice and he was wondering, has there been an advanced stats slash money ball style revolution in wrestling in the past decade or so? He's thinking of similar changes that led to more passing in football and more three point shots in basketball. Yeah. You know, it's, that's a great question. And I, and I, I have started to see a few things like that. I, I guess an attempt maybe to look at, they're not true sabermetrics necessarily, but to look at advanced statistics and and maybe they fall more along the lines of kind of the SP plus that we'll talk about with football in that it's not so much um, using the statistics to change an individual player's game, but maybe the statistics are being used to better understand, um, you know, how wrestlers match up against one another. So trackwrestling.com, which is, which is a a great site with some great writing, a couple really solid journalists there who, who do a nice job covering the sport, but they, they've worked with an outfit um, called quant wrestling that are, are attempting to use some deeper statistics. And so when they talk about the discipline of big data, as it applies to wrestling, what they do apparently is they're tracking Um, and timing every activity in a wrestling match and come up with 400 different statistics and then take those statistics with the highest correlation to match results and have created three different metrics, offensive activity rating, defensive activity rating, and total activity rating. All right, now that's a lot of words to say. They're trying to analyze what activities in a match lead to the given outcome, which is, well, you know, winning the match. Sure. Uh, and what, what I find interesting about it is, is how we're using the data. It's pretty new. I don't think a lot of people have been paying a truckload of attention to these kind of metrics, but there was a story um, that track put out probably a week ago now where they showed the um, top guys in the country based on these different metrics, the offensive activity rating, defensive activity rating, and, and People were mad online. <laughs> oh, were people mad? And so okay, I mean, but then they, that would be my question, Andy. Which is, how receptive is the wrestling community to that idea that you would use these types of like 
advanced metrics and things like that. Well, where you typically see people, I don't know how receptive they are to the metrics. That's a good question. What I find interesting in covering wrestling over the past few years is is seeing how receptive people are to change in general. So there are a lot of, (laughs) as, as freestyle wrestling has become more, uh, highly associated with the elite programs in college wrestling. So mm-hmm. the the explosion of the regional training center. So Ohio has a regional training center where um, you know guys like Nathan Tomasello and Miles Martin are training to make the Olympic team. Now that their college careers are over, and Ohio State tends to recruit guys that have a lot of you know cadet uh, world or junior world freestyle experience. So freestyle wrestling is is more what i would say offense focused so you you have more ways to score on your opponent um and there's less focus on traditional folk style elements like there is no riding time for example in right, freestyle right. wrestling um freestyle matches are shorter there are things like push outs and step outs where you know in ncaa folk style wrestling if you go out of bounds the referee blows the whistle and you go back to the center and you restart the the, the match in freestyle, if you push your man out of the ring or the guy steps out of the ring, say, to avoid a shot or something along those lines, you get a point. So there's a point scored when somebody goes out of bounds, right? So that that's a change. Uh, people in folk style fandom are, are either like super receptive to that, kind of like you were saying with, with the move toward more scoring in football and, mm-hmm. and say, Hey, yeah, we want these, you know, let's get rid of this, this antiquated riding time concept and, and the way we do some of these things in folk style. But there's also an equally large and loud wing that says, you know what? American folk style wrestling is a special thing and it's unique. And this is how we do college wrestling. And it doesn't matter if the Iranians and the Russians and the other people who are really good at wrestling around the world don't do folk style, this is our thing and we should do it. So, and and I think that's a, I think that's a valid argument. There's a, there's a thing to be said for, you know, being able to control your opponent on top um, or conversely being able to get out from under a guy who's trying to grind you into the mat. Those are skills that, that are, you know, important to have. Uh, I, I wonder though, you know, because of the, the move you see in other sports toward more scoring and, and trying to encourage that. I mean, God, even in baseball that, that maybe we'll move that way um, in wrestling, but things like assessing statistically, are you taking enough shots? You'll hear Tom Ryan talk about that. Luke, Luke Pletcher that we were talking about early in the program. I mean, he's a perfect example. If you take more shots in a match, chances are you're going to score more takedowns. Right. If you never shoot, you're not going to score. And, and so that's the thing. Like there's a, there's um, a lady that uh, comes to every match at Ohio state. We used to live in the same County. And so she'll always stop by the the press table and talk to me before the meet. And we're talking about Elijah Cleary, who who's now on a two match win streak, but had been on a five match losing streak. And she said to me, she's like, is Elijah ever going to shoot? You know? And it's, and, and it's, so it's a thing. If you don't take the shots, you're not going to score the takedown. So maybe looking at these advanced metrics, maybe people will start to look and say, Hey, you know, (laughs) it'll be interesting. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how that evolves because I think a lot of times people see this, this idea of using advanced metrics in sports, just in general, it doesn't matter whether it's wrestling, basketball, baseball, football, whatever. And I think a lot of times people see a marketing opportunity there and they'll be like, all right, well, we're going to statistically, you know, figure out this, this stat that, you know, well, you use our math and we'll figure out and we'll figure out something that other people haven't done and we'll try to market it. 
as a tool that other people can use, but you got to pay us for the service and you got to make sure that if you want that data, you got to get it from us and, you know, you got to charge a subscription or a fee. And, and sometimes I see that particularly in college football where I'm like, I don't know how statistically sound a lot of the stuff that's being produced actually is. Now, when you're talking about like shoot rate and like how people are actually going to go for a takedown, stuff like that, that's quantifiable yeah. things. And I think with wrestling, you've got a, a different opportunity with this because yeah, so there, there, there isn't as much, there isn't as much going on. If that makes sense, you're not, you're not trying to quantify certain things in relation to other things. So it's, it's two guys, right? It's two guys on a mat. So to me, I feel like that can be a little more valid than like, all right, well, when the right guard lines up, you know, three feet to this mm-hmm. direction versus mm-hmm. in relation to the tight end. And this, like, to me, it seems like you can quantify that a little bit more easily than maybe in other sports. It, or well, and that's, it's really interesting because some of the times I watch a match and I think like I'm reading this, um, this quant wrestling, I'm reading their, their little, you know, elevator speech here. And, and they say, okay, we've, we've produced 360 t- statistics, you know, by tracking, every activity in a match. I think three seems like a lot. That's a, that's a lot. So like, I would like to, of course, they're not going to share their secret sauce. Sure. But, but, but it's interesting to me. Now, when I look at their rankings, you know, I do find it interesting. So Colin Moore is number three in the, the country pound for pound. Uh, meaning in other words, regardless of weight class. Uh, and, and I look at that and I say, okay, that kind of makes sense to me that he would rank really high because he's a guy who takes a ton of shots. He scores, you know, at a ridiculously high rate, tech falls are major decisions almost every time he takes the mat. Um, and then you go on down and I look and say, okay, Luke Pletcher, we were just talking about a little bit ago. He comes in, I think number like 13, maybe in their, their list of pound for pound. Yeah. Number 13. And I look at that and say, Hey, that's, you know what, that kind of makes a lot of sense to me because here again, he's upped his bonus rate. He's now into like 65, um, percent or more in bonus rate makes a lot of sense. He's taken a lot of shots. And in his case, it's kind of funny too. I was talking about how his previous years, he's been more of a defensive guy. Um, and sure enough, his defensive activity rating is super high, um, higher go. than his offensive activity rating. Now, does all that mean anything? I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Like sometimes maybe I don't, I, but that's, yeah, but that's what I'm saying, dude. Like, I don't know you you look at things this is the problem for me with advanced statistics and i guess that's the larger question with all this and i appreciate uh james and slash jimmy for uh asking this question because to me that really gets to the heart of how we look at sports these days because i you look at stats people put out stats and they see a tweet about it or they see something on television or in the broadcast and go wow that makes sense that's an interesting stat that makes sense for what i'm seeing but does that actually reflect how the game is being done? And that to yeah. me is what's really fascinating because a lot of these stats seem to be really based in confirmation bias, right? Like we're looking at things and going, okay, how well does that fit what I expect that I already thought I knew? And when there is that much confirmation sometimes of things that you are being told by broadcasters or that you expect just as a fan narratively, to me, that seems a little suspicious. And I want more data behind it and you know guys like ken pomeroy when you're watching basketball and stuff at least in their rankings you understand exactly why they're putting teams where they're putting them i don't always agree with bill Connolly on a lot of stuff but he's pretty transparent and how he believes teams should be ranked and and how they should be assessed and i appreciate that because to me it's not just some random stat being pulled out of somewhere where it's being presented as like okay this is why this is happening what you're seeing i don't know that that's necessarily sound so i appreciate that and i i think it's to me when you see these kind of fledgling outfits who are coming out with these stats 
it, there just has to be more time and more weight. And I'm not saying that's invalid. It's just that it's hard for me to take it super seriously, at least initially, because I want to see more data behind it. I want to see more time behind it before well, I, I want to know what it. you're, what you're doing with the data, I think is super important. So like we've talked about Connolly and SP plus a lot, right? Uh, because I, you know, I like to refer to it and, and Connolly, you know, what's the purpose of the data in his case, it's, this is predictive. So in other words, yeah. Um, I can take team X and team Y and say, based on their SP plus, here's what should happen. You know, and of course, in, in my case, like I used it to inform my decisions when we were you know, making our picks in the, the house money pool. But but that's just one potential use of that kind of data. Uh, and I was kind of looking as I dug more into this quant wrestling thing, um, you know, for this particular question, they've they've got a series now at track where they're using their data, their, these offensive and defensive activity ratings to try to predict, Hey, in a dual meet between say, you know, Minnesota and Michigan, for example, here, here's who should win each of these matches. What I find interesting then is to go back after the fact and say, Hey, did this work? So Connolly does that with his SP plus he goes back and says, Hey, you know, um, we, we predicted, uh, the outcome X number percent of the time, you know, or here's, here's how we did it. And typically it's against the spread. So here's how SP plus did against the spread. And so you can look and say, all right, if it was, you know, accurate. And, and I don't know what his season average was this time, but if it's say 70%, you'd say, wow, that's, that's pretty good predictive rate in a game that has a lot of random variables and that and, and potential outcomes. Uh, but if you go back and say, yeah, this only predicted the right answer 20% of the time, well then, okay, clearly it's not a very good, right. Pre- it's pre- not a pretty good predictive system. <laughs> right. And so that's, and that's really, I think we, we got to determine in any sport really is just how, you know, effective it is at kind of like justifying, you know, it's, it's own existence, if that makes sense. You know yeah, what I mean? Like absolutely. That, that, that to me is the biggest thing because again, I see a lot of stuff where I'm like, okay, that should make sense in theory, but I just. I don't know. I, to me, you got to have more than just that makes sense. It's It's got to be, there just has to be a lot more data behind it. Anyway, we have another question here. This is from uh, St. Louis Wookie. I'm actually going to put that on the back burner because to me, this is an excellent question that I want to spend a lot more time on. And I'm running up against it a little bit tonight, but I, I will tell you that uh, St. Louis Wookie, we will get to this. It's basically about a coaching draft and I'm I'm really excited to get into that. So we'll talk about that next week. Um, I really enjoyed the wrestling talk tonight, though. I look, you want you want one, you want one major Ohio State team, right? That we really enjoy watching to be doing good and on the you know high end of things. And wrestling is definitely that. And there's full of really great personalities and and great uh, guys to watch, you know, perform. So, um, like I said, we'll keep talking them up because they're they're doing awesome and they're a really fun team to follow. So, thank you for the info, Andy. And I'll talk to you next week because I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll talk to you next time.